Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am the creator and host of the Bible in Life, and I am grateful for you. Glad that you are joining me here on this episode of the Bible in Life. And not only that, uh, the Bible in Life is only possible because of the generosity of people who believe in the ministry of the Bible and Life in total, this podcast, the listener's commentary, the online study resources in the study hub and the courses that go along with that. Um, there are people who believe in that, and because they believe in that and they see the kingdom work that God is doing, uh, they generously support this ministry. And so uh, as we begin this episode, let me just say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who make this ministry possible, whether you give $5 a month or whether you give $50 a month or you give $500 a month, whatever you give, uh, I am incredibly grateful to you because what it represents is uh, that you have a kingdom heart and a kingdom vision, and you want to see God and his kingdom grow and increase throughout the world. You want to see his word spread. And so thanks a ton for your support. All right, this week on this episode, we want to launch a new series that I'm kind of packaging around the theme of what's your life focus, your life focus. And uh, I want to just offer some reflections out of the book of Philippians. If you want all the, the exegetical notes on Philippians, if you want all the backstory and a detailed study through Philippians verse by verse, the place to go for that is the listener's commentary. Go to listenerscommentary.com, click listen. You can find Philippians and you can listen to it there. You can listen to it on Spotify or on whatever podcast app you listen to. So if you want a verse by verse study through Philippians, check out the listener's commentary. Here, just over the next handful of weeks, I want to just offer some reflections um, from Philippians about what our life should be focused on as disciples of Jesus. And so this particular episode is going to offer some reflections out of Philippians chapter 1. And to begin, uh, let me just tell you about a friend of mine from several years ago. We worked together at Boise Bible College for a number of years. His name was Jim Vaughn. Uh, Jim had been a businessman for a long time. He uh, had managed business, led business, been you know CEO of various grocery store chains and all that. In fact, he and a partner had actually started an entire grocery store chain. And then after a number of years, because the business world is kind of ruthless and cutthroat, he was let go from the grocery store chain that he helped start. And so he found himself in his early 50s out of work in what he described as a young man's field. And he wasn't sure what he was going to do, um, but at a Bible study, he heard that Boise Bible College needed a business manager. And so he thought, well, I know business. Maybe I could at least help out for the time being. And so he got the job as the business manager at BBC. And while he was there working in the business office, even though he already had a deep and abiding faith in Jesus, it was as if God enlarged his heart for Christ and for Christ's kingdom. And he, he became even more centered on Jesus and his kingdom, even to the point of downsizing, he and his wife downsizing their house so they could free up funds so they could be more generous and support more ministry. 
Um, and so as his heart was enlarging and as his heart was growing, he was shifting how he viewed his finances, how he viewed his home, how he viewed his work, and all of that was growing and changing. Well, about five or six years into his job at BBC, he was diagnosed with cancer and very aggressive cancer. And so he had to face now cancer and he was in and out of the hospital on a regular basis. And, uh, and it was hard and it was rough. And that story just reminds us that we can't control our circumstances. How would Jim view now this new situation? Here he is giving more of his life and more of even his time and money and energy to Jesus and his kingdom. And now all of a sudden he's diagnosed with cancer. How would he view that? He'd lost his job from a company he helped start, uh, right? I mean, like circumstances are unpredictable. We just can't control them. And we, we experience all kinds of circumstances in life, both good and bad. In Jim's case, job loss, right? Or job change, a, uh, a life-threatening disease, marriage, uh, the dissolution of a marriage, birth of children, the death of a loved one. Th those are some of the big like, circumstances we experience in life. There are then the small everyday ones. You have pleasant neighbors and you have difficult neighbors. And if you're a student, you've got homework. Some's easy. Some's just frustrating and hard. You've got classmates and coworkers that are, uh, some are easy to get along with and some just make life miserable. Uh, you've got extended family, some of which is pleasant, some of which is hard and they raise lots of questions. And over the course of your life and my life, we'll experience all sorts of kinds of circumstances, all different ones. And the question is, how do you evaluate your circumstances? How do you evaluate your circumstances? And here in the book of Philippians, um, Paul's circumstances is something that he actually talks about. When he writes this letter, he's writing it to the church in the city of Philippi, which was in Macedonia or northern Greece, uh, up on the, uh, the eastern coast of Macedonia near the Aegean Sea. That's where Philippi is. And they're a church that Paul has a lot of affection for. They have a strong relationship. Paul has spent a good amount of time there. He's regularly visited them. They have regularly supported his ministry. In fact, from the very beginning, they've supported his ministry. So there's a real connection between Paul and the Philippians. They love each other deeply. And the letter of Philippians doesn't evidence that there's a whole lot of um, like turmoil and conflict in the church. There's some minor relational disruption in the church, and there's some beginning signs of some disharmony in the church. But other than that, it's a church that is very supportive of Paul's ministry. And they actually sent a gift to Paul. And that's one of the things that motivated the writing of this letter. Because Paul is under arrest. He's incarcerated at the time of this letter in the city of Rome. And he is, it's probably the 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 incarceration described at the end of Acts chapter 28, where Paul is in his own apartment, chained to guards who are guarding him, waiting for his trial in the city of Rome. And under the Roman legal system, he had to actually provide for his own room and board. But he couldn't work because he's under arrest. And so he was dependent on the care and the support of friends and family. 
Well, the Philippians, being some of his friends, took up an offering, sent a member of their church from Philippi all the way to Rome to deliver the money to help take care of and support their beloved apostle Paul. That's his situation. That's his circumstances. It's not optimal. And not only that, by the time he writes this letter, he's been under arrest and in various forms of incarceration for about three plus three and a half years. So a long time. And he hasn't been able to travel and preach. Uh, It's been difficult, right? And so his circumstances, by all normal human metrics, are not optimal. They're not what he would have preferred. Well, look what he says about them. Beginning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances, remember these are the people in Philippi, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So he's giving them an update on his situation because he cares about them. They care about him. They've sent him this gift. As he sends the letter back, one of the things he wants to do is give them a little update on his circumstances because everyone knows they've been less than optimal for the last three and a half years. But notice what he says. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's the opening line about his circumstances. And how is he evaluating them? Well, he's evaluating them by the progress of the gospel. So even though he hasn't been able to to travel and preach, he looks at a circumstance and he says, yeah, but still, the gospel's gone forward through these circumstances. How so? Well, look at what he, he continues to say in verse 13. He says, so that my imprisonment in the, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the entire Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard probably refers to the emperor's closest uh, troops as the member of the Roman army who were entrusted with um, caring for and guarding the palace of the emperor himself. So they're like the they're the elite troops of the emperor himself, and that they're the ones that are guarding Paul. And so Paul is saying that um, my imprisonment for the sake of Christ, has become known to the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So what's going on? Well, if this is the uh, incarceration described in Acts chapter 28, we have a pretty good idea what's going on. Paul has called for the Jews in the city of Rome since his trial involves them. Uh, and has invited them to his rented quarters there where he's got the guards chained to him and guarding his door. And they are discussing the gospel and studying the Bible together. And Paul's trying to lead these Jewish leaders in the city of Rome to Christ. And then he keeps hosting more people that keep coming to him. And he keeps talking about Jesus and why he's in prison and who Jesus is. And so he's not saying per se that uh, the guards have necessarily converted, but the guards have regularly heard the story of Jesus. They've heard the story of the gospel. They've heard him explain all that. They've heard about his death and his resurrection. And and then you can probably imagine that those guards go back to the barracks and they start, man, I was, I was guarding this prisoner, Paul, today, and he was talking about um, this, this Jew from 30 years ago who one of our governors, Pilate, put to death. And Paul contends that he came back to life and he's worshiping him as a god and he's saying he's king and lord. And, right? That's what he's talking about. And Paul's courage to share that story, even while he's under arrest, even while he's being guarded by um, the emperor's elite troops, has now emboldened the uh, other believers in the city of Rome 
to share their faith and to share the gospel, even if it might bring some shame and dishonor upon them as well. And so they now have the courage to speak the word of God without fear. Um, and he, he, he does say some you know, preaching it from bad motives, like they want to make, they want to maybe stir up trouble somehow for Paul. We don't know exactly all that was going on. Some from good motives. But here's his conclusion. Even though um, the gospel is going forward, some of it is even motivated by bad, bad motives. It's still the true gospel. Notice what Paul says in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether from good motives or bad is the idea, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. What is, what is Paul doing? How is he evaluating his circumstances? Well, he's evaluating his circumstances by uh, the, the gospel. Only that in whatever way Christ is proclaimed, whether from pure motives or not, whether in pleasant circumstances or difficult ones, whether in life or in death, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, Paul says, I rejoice. Sitting here in prison, having been uh, this way for three and a half years, having suffered a shipwreck on the way here and, and wondering where is God in the midst of all this, Paul is saying, look, here's the main thing. Christ is being proclaimed and in this I rejoice. I remember a number of years ago when I was doing youth ministry, um, there is a Christian school here in the area and a, a number of my uh, students in my youth ministry went to this Christian school. Well, the, the creative, uh, the music and drama, right, the creative arts teacher at this Christian school was actually shot and murdered. Um, execution style. Like this was somebody that knew her. They bound her and then they killed her. And, and so uh, I went to this funeral with a number of my students from my uh, youth ministry. And it was amazing, not because there wasn't grief, not because there wasn't sorrow. What was amazing was that this, the service was genuinely a celebration of Jesus as he was manifest through this, this gal's life and how her whole life had been caught up with making Jesus known in whatever way she could. In fact, the funeral began with her brothers and sisters walking out on stage, since they were a musical family, and they all sang the old hymn, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, uh, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, hail thee as the sun above. Um, this was how the funeral began. And yes, there's grief. Yes, there were tears. But the whole funeral, even the funeral message, was a call to, at that point, they did not know who had killed her, um, uh, to uh, a call to offer forgiveness to the, the person that had killed her. And it was a, a massive celebration of the wisdom and the grace and the power of Jesus um, in difficult circumstances. And it's really that same sort of thing that, uh, that Paul is modeling here in Philippians chapter 1, um, that his circumstances were, were, were good. He rejoiced because the gospel was doing well. So here he is giving the Philippians an update on his circumstances. And really what he does is he gives them an update on the gospel and how it's doing. And that's really what drove Paul. Uh, Paul lived with a what's best for the gospel mentality. 
Um, and that's how he want, wanted the Philippians to view their circumstances. He'll actually say that here in just a little bit in chapter one. Like, that's how I want you to live too. Like, what's best for the gospel? I want you to honor the gospel. And Paul has credibility on them, uh, with them on this, not just because of what's going on in his current situation, but even what happened when he preached the gospel to him the first time. You can read the story in Acts chapter 16. And when Paul preached the gospel the first time and he was he was beaten with rods in downtown Philippi, publicly dishonored and shamed, thrown into prison, put in stocks with one of his co-workers, Silas. And Luke tells us in Acts 16 that there in Philippi, in the public jail, um, Silas and Paul are singing hymns of praise to God in the middle of the night, even though their backs have been beaten, bloodied, and bruised with lead rods. Even though they're sitting in a dark, dank uh, um, inner prison and with their hands and their feet shackled, they are singing praise to God. And then God used that to actually lead the jailer himself and his family and his household to come to faith in Jesus. And they were all baptized that very night, right? Like for Paul, what's best for the gospel is always what drove him. In fact, here in Philippians chapter one, look at verse 20. He says that uh, his hope, his prayer is that Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, like whether I, I, my trial goes well or not. He kind of expects that it's going to go well and he thinks he's going to get out of the situation, but he's not sure. And he's like, so whether I'm executed here in Rome or whether I'm freed and I, I get to continue serving Jesus, my only hope is, my only prayer is, is that Christ will as always be exalted in my body. And then he says the famous line out of Philippians chapter one, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul's like, I'm in a win-win situation. If I get to live on, then I get to serve Christ and honor Christ and promote Christ. And if I die, I get to be with Christ. So I can't lose. It's a win-win situation. Um, For Paul, this is what really matters. And he says to the Philippians in 127, I want you all to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, This is what drove Paul's life, is what's best for the gospel. Um, And so when we talk about our life's focus, what would it look like for us to live out of a what's best for the gospel mindset? Uh, When we talk about our circumstances, how do you evaluate your circumstances? Well, how did Paul do that? Well, Paul evaluated his circumstances by really saying, well, the gospel's doing well. The gospel is still going forward in and through me, even though I'm struggling, even though it's not optimal for me, it's been good for the gospel, and in this I rejoice. How would it look like if that's what, that was the lens through which we looked at all the circumstances of our life, and it's like, how could I live these circumstances in such a way that the that it would honor Christ, that Christ would be exalted, that the gospel would would go forward? How could I uh, in, engage in my current situation in such a way where I'm really just banking on the gospel and walking in a manner worthy of the gospel and rejoicing in the gospel? Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For example, the way we act on the job or the way we talk to and respond to coworkers, even apologizing when we mess up, that's like honoring the gospel, right? Like, does our interactions with our neighbors and our extended family, does it honor the gospel? Is that what drives, um, in whatever simple way we can, are we driven by that? And are we just 
happy and glad that the gospel is going forward in whatever simple way we can through our life. I, I know people who could make a whole lot more money elsewhere, but they've chosen to stay where they are because it's best for the gospel. Like, what would it look like to live that way and to evaluate our circumstances that way? Back to my friend, Jim, who I started this podcast with, um, who you know was diagnosed with cancer as he was working there at the Bible College. Um, he faced cancer with very much the same mindset that he faced everything in life, with the same focus, the same determination, and the same what's best for the gospel sort of mindset. And so he related to his doctors and his nurses in the hospital very clearly and very deliberately as a representative of Jesus. That's who he is. He's an ambassador for Jesus in the cancer ward at the hospital. And so he wanted, he wanted to embody that um, in his conversations and his demeanor and all of that in relationship with him. He had no guarantees that he would come out of this cancer on a positive note, right? And so he actually, every time he was in the hospital, he would spend time writing in a journal, very deliberate um, bits of um, wisdom and thoughts and ideas, very Jesus-centered like, so that he could hand this journal to his son and that his son could, who at the time was a teenager, could have his Jesus-centered thoughts and advice for life uh, if he didn't make it out of it alive. And even if he did, um, he could give this as a gift to his son. His goal was to beat cancer, but he had no guarantees. Now, the fact is, by the grace of God, he's been cancer-free for over a decade. But either way, by life or by death, the most important thing to him was that Jesus and the gospel was honored. Um, and then, uh, a year after being declared cancer-free, Jim actually left BBC to go back into the corporate world, even though it was going to be challenging because he felt like it was a young man's world and now he's in his upper 50s at the time, right? He he left to go back into the corporate world. And here's what he said. He said, I want to go back into the business world with everything I've learned about Jesus and his kingdom here at BBC. And I want to let that shape the way I do corporate leadership in ways it never did before. That was his focus. So what's your life focus? Is it Jesus and the gospel? And what would it look like to live with a what's best for the gospel mindset? What would it look like to let that be the filter by which we evaluate all our circumstances, even if they're less than optimal? How could, how could I uh, honor Jesus and the gospel in and through these circumstances? That's what drove Paul. And I pray that's what drives us as well. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. I pray you have a wonderful week in Christ. May God bless you and lead you. And I look forward to talking with you again next week.